Father, we honor you. Hallelujah. I began this series a couple of weeks ago entitled Christian Living, Christian Living. And before I move forward, I would just like to say Happy Mother's Day, amen, to all of the mothers. Glory to God. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for all the mothers in the house and the ones that may not be here but had something to do with us being here today, amen. Glory to God. We thank God for our mothers, and we honor the Lord for that. Hallelujah. Well, I started a series a few weeks ago entitled Christian Living because I think that it is important for us to live as Christians, amen. It is important for us to live the way the Word of God says. It's important that we don't just call ourselves Christians, but that we are living according to what the mandate of Scripture is, that we are living according to what God declares in His Word as being His will. That should be the desire of every person that calls himself a Christian. It's not to live according to your own desires. It's not to live according to your own will, but it's to live according to the will of the one who gave his life for you. It's to live according to the will of the one who didn't have to do anything but decided in his love and in his mercy that he was going to show himself and that he was going to reveal himself and he was going to come to this earth and he was going to take our sin and bear it on the cross and die in our place to intercept the wrath of God coming against our life. Now that is an awesome God. Amen, somebody? That is an awesome God that saved us from hell, saved us from being bound for eternity, separated from him suffering. That's a scary place to think about and to be there for eternity. I can only imagine is even worse. Hello, somebody. And this God is the God that we worship. This God is the God that we serve. And this God is the God that we owe all of our devotion to. We owe all of our lives to. We owe every breath that we, that, that we breathe belongs to him. And we should want because the Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or whether you drink, you should do what? Do all for the glory of God. And so as Christians, we should know what it means to glorify God and what it means not to glorify him. And so Christian living deals with that. Last week we began speaking on the topic of, of, of the, the, the scripture in the book of Matthew that declares that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And we understood from that scripture that when we're looking at that word violent, it means passionate. It means devotion. And we talked about the kingdom because being Christians, it deals with the kingdom of God. It deals with a place or a realm that is outside of here. It is a realm that, is that, that, that we don't see in the natural, but we can experience it through relationship with God. We we can experience heaven. We can experience the fullness of him in a relationship. And that's what God desires for all of us, as we'll see as we continue to look through the scriptures here. Kingdom kingdom is an important word because God, in, in, in that word kingdom, it shows us not only a realm, but it shows us a rule. And God wants to rule. He wants to dictate. He wants to direct your life for what? So that way he can just be this great dictator who just tells you everything to do? No, because he wants you and I to walk in the fullness of his love, in the fullness of his blessing. He wants us to experience good things. The Bible says that God's plans are good for us and not evil. Amen? So we understand that if we're not living according to his rule, we're not going to experience his blessing. Amen. I don't know about anybody else in here, but I want to make sure that I'm fully blessed. Every day of my life, I want to make sure that everything that I experience is God's blessing. I don't want to experience anything other than that. And I realize that there's one way to do that, and is that if he is the king of my life, if he is seated on the throne of my heart, if he is ruling and governing in my life. And that's why kingdom is so important, because he came, and, 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 and the messages that were preached were repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're in opposition to this kingdom, so you're not walking in blessing. You're not walking with me. Therefore, you need to repent. In other words, turn around. Consider your ways and turn around. Walk with me. Stop walking against me. Start walking with me. Stop fighting with me. Hello, somebody. 
Kingdom Christianity begins with a violent or a passionate and radical repentance from sin. And it is continued with that same passionate and radical sacrifice of ourself and separation from this world. That is what happens. When we talk about living a Christian life, we are talking about repenting of our sin in a radical manner, saying no matter who I have to walk away from, no matter who I have to lose, no matter what I have to give up, I'm going to give it all up because I understand who Jesus Christ is and I understand what he did for me on that cross. That is what, that, that, that's why we repent and turn from our sin. And as we continue, like I say, it doesn't end with a prayer. It doesn't end with repentance, but it is a continual thing that we continue to do. We continue to sacrifice ourselves. We continue to lay our lives down. We continue to communicate, or we continue to live what God is communicating. We went to this Bible conference on, on Friday and there was these two very intelligent people up on the platform, and they were going back and forth about the scriptures, and one of them that was an opponent of the word of God, he began to talk about that wonderful scripture where Jesus says that anyone who's going to come after me, he needs to deny himself, right? He needs to take up his cross. He needs to follow me. And so he's communicating, and this person is trying to say, well, you know, that was taken from somewhere else. Listen, the bottom line is this. Jesus said it. Amen, somebody? And the Bible also communicates pretty clearly that there are some people who are enemies of the cross. You know why? Because they want to tell you and they want you to believe you don't got to sacrifice anything. You can just live how you want to live. Don't worry about living any. You can just enjoy everything, just whatever feels good. That's what they want you to believe. The devil is a liar. And so we've got to understand that these folks that are communicating these things, they're lying, they're deceiving. They're trying to take away from what God's word communicates for us as children of God. And so it's important for us to look at the scriptures, which is what we want to do, and learn what it means to be a Christian. What does God call us to do? Christian living church is sustained through relationship with God. So let me pause for a moment. Because I don't, want, I don't think that, that, that we should get a mindset of just this religious drudgery of just walking around and, oh my goodness, i got to sacrifice my life. Oh, my goodness, I can't do this. Oh, my goodness, I got to say no to that. Oh, my goodness, I can't hang out there. Oh, my good. That's like a husband walking around saying, oh, my goodness, I got to be married to her for the rest of my life. Oh, my goodness, I got to wake up next to her for the rest of my life. Oh, my goodness, I got to sit across the table from her for the rest of my life. Oh, my goodness, I got to hear. Oh, my good. Come on, man. Is that, is that a marriage? Is that a relationship? No, that's slavery, church. That is, that is bondage, and God does not want you to be in bondage. Understand me. Understand me. He, does, he wants you to be in love with him. He wants you to know his love. He wants you to know him intimately. The only problem is that you cannot know his love until you repent of your sin. Well, see, that, 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 that's the issue, is that we want to know all of his love, but we want to live how we want to live. That is not Christian living. Mm -hmm. I got one that's right. Glory to God. Someone got it. Amen. Hallelujah. God wants us to know his love. And you know, you know what he does? He shows us how much he loves us. By what? By communicating to us through the, through, through, through the gospel of what he did. He shows us this love. But if you want to experience this love, if you want to experience this and grow in this relationship, you can't live how you want to live. You got to live according to the standards of the scripture. And so there's sacrifice, but you know what the beauty of it is? Is that I'm letting go of everything because I have him. You didn't hear me. You must have not because if you really had him, you would have got excited right there. But anyway, listen. I, I let go of everything else because I got him. 
because I have him. It's not drudgery. It is a blessing for me to let go of that, to spend time with him. It is a blessing for me to release myself from those things by his power and by his grace because of what? Because I've been enraptured in a love that I have never known. I know we're celebrating Mother's Day, and you know, mother's love is something special. Amen, somebody? But I want you to know something. Your God could outlove your mother any day. On his worst day, he could outlove your mom if you just let him. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to offend moms. I love my mom and everything. Glory to God. And I love all the mothers in here. But the truth of the matter is that God's love is way beyond anything we've ever experienced in this natural realm. And it is, and it is his desire that we know that love. That we walk in that love. But there are some things that we got to do. If we want to experience And Pastor Rob was preaching. And he said, you know what? There's some things that we got to do. We don't just want the peace of God. We want the God of peace. That's what he said. Amen. And so there's some things we got to do in order to have the God of peace. We can't just live how we want to live and do what we want to do. But if we want the God of peace, if we want the relationship, not just the feeling for a moment. Hello. We want the relationship, then we've got to change our ways. We've got to amend our way. We've got to come into alignment with him, and that's what it's all about, walking with him. But again, this is about relationship. It's, it, it's something voluntary, church. You volunteer. Every day you volunteer. Every day you give yourself. Every day you say, Lord, here I am. Here I am, God, I'm going to serve you. Here I am, God, I'm going to worship you. Here I am, God, I'm going to obey you. Decisions that we make communicate. This relationship is voluntary, but you know what the scriptures teach us? The scriptures also teach us that if we don't have certain disciplines in our life, we'll never grow into maturity. We don't have certain disciplines in our life, we'll never grow into maturity. It's the same thing in natural relationship as in in this spiritual relationship. If you don't have quality time with the ones you love, guess what? Your love is not going to continue to grow. It will start to just be just just stagnant. And if you continue to deplete each other, you know, in relationship with children and parents, whatever, what will end up happening is that love begins to turn into something else. It's not this love, this happy thing. You know, I I experience this with my daughter sometimes, you know, and I'm going to testify about her, you know, and her her loving ways. Glory to God. My my, my daughter is a special young lady. Hallelujah. And um, she's been, she's being, she's being trained by the best. Glory to God. And she knows what quality time is. Mm-hmm. She knows what quality time is. And my daughter, I, I'll sit down and I'm like, babe, we're sitting down. You know, we're, we're watching something on television. We, you know, we're sitting, you know, because if you went to the conference for the, for the marriages, you know, you have that shoulder to shoulder time, right? So we're sitting down watching TV, shoulder to shoulder time. And so for me, you know, I'm like, I'm not really interested in what's going on on the TV. So I grab my phone and I start looking at Facebook or something, right? Checking up on folks. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> That's not, I, I'm looking on Facebook, you know, I'm, I'm looking, whatever it is, you know, looking at emails. And she's like, Daddy, give me that phone. I'm like, baby, why, why I got to give you the phone? Because we're spending, but, but babe, this is not affecting. My, my arm is here. I'm good. I do everything with one thumb. I'm not taking it. This is uh, the whole, but, but, but you know what? She understands what quality time is. And you know what happened with her? This, 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 and, I, and I love this because we'll sit down. And if, and if it's a normal situation, for example, Friday is my day off. That's our daddy-daughter day. When, I, when, when she gets home, when she's during summertime, from the morning on, it's her and me. No, no interruption. She gets highly upset if I get interrupted. But the bottom line is that she knows, like this Friday, her and I couldn't have that daddy-daughter time because we had to leave for the men's thing at like 3.15. She gets out of school at like 2.40. And so, you know, long story short, you know, we're sitting down and... You know, I, I tell her, baby, you know, I'm not going to be able to hang out with you or whatever. I was studying. And so she goes, and then, then Saturday comes, and she's sitting down with me, and she's like, Daddy, we didn't get to spend our daddy-daughter time. And I'm like, babe, I know, I know. I'm like, well, you know, we can sit down, and we can, you know, watch, some, you know, watch something or whatever you want to do. And, you know, it was really hot, so I wasn't going outside. I'm sorry. I was just being <laughs> bad. I was like, mm, it's too hot out there today. But anyway, 
So I didn't have to be out there, and, you know, so, and I know her. She's only going to go out there for five minutes, and then we're going to come back inside. So anyhow, I said, babe, we can do something else. So she's sitting down, and, and, and she's like, but daddy, no. And I'm like, but, but why? And so she started getting into this whole long discussion. I'm not going to give you all of the details, but the bottom line is, th- th- this is my point. My point is, normally, daddy-daughter time, lovey-dovey, huggy-huggy, everything's good. We have a good time. Whatever we're doing, no questions asked. When I miss the daddy-daughter time, it switches things because now that lovey-lovey begins to be like, hold on a second, I need to correct you. <laughs> Listen to me now. Listen to me. I, I, I need to challenge you for a moment because we miss this lovey-lovey, huggy-huggy time, and, and I'm not going to accept anything less, hear me, than what I would normally get. So what happens? What about if I do that every week? What do you think will happen to that relationship? What do you think will happen to that love? It's because I'm not being disciplined enough in that relationship. It's the same thing with my relationship with God. If I do not have certain disciplines, it's not that God stops loving me because God doesn't stop loving you. Can anything stop the love of God? Anything at all? Nothing can stop. Nothing can make God not love us. Bottom line is he loves us. He, he, he sent his son to die for us to show us how much he loves us. That's not the question here. The question is, are you growing in that love? Because when you're not, see, you're the one. Understand this. When you and I are not disciplining ourselves to spend that time with God, you know who loses? You. We do. He doesn't lose. He, he, He wants your presence. He wants you to be there. He loves you and he wants to share. But who loses is us. Because we're not connected with him. And then as we experience life, difficult situations, what do we start questioning? Oh, does God really love us? What's the first thing folks start questioning? How can God love me? I'm going through this. How can God love me? I'm experiencing this. But why is that, church? Because we abandon the disciplines that we need to maintain in order to continue to grow in this relationship. When we look at this scripture here in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle Paul has communicated in chapter 1 to to, to his son in the faith, Timothy, about some doctrinal issues in the church. He's communicated that there's some things that are wrong. There's some things that are going, listen, you know, you don't even need to get involved in these type of conversations. You know, he's communicating to his son, and he's saying, you know what, you got to fight this good fight. And it's amazing to me because he communicates to him, and the first thing that he says, and that's the title of the message this morning, first of all, or first things first, he says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And so he doesn't go and say to them, listen, I need you to go get deeper in Bible study so you can deal with this stuff. He says, I need you to pray. I need you to seek God. First of all, before I say anything else, I don't need you to go at this moment. I want you to understand how important prayer is to dealing with all of these things. Here's the problem, church, is that too often prayer is treated as the redheaded stepchild of church programming. Oh, yeah. We all know we need it. But is it something that is first in your life? And this goes both sides of this token. The one side is personal prayer. That's the one side. The second side is corporate prayer. I remember when I was in youth, when, when, when I was in youth ministry. And, I was, and, 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 and if there's only one thing that I could fault my pastor for was that they had a prayer meeting. It was on Monday nights, wasn't it? They had a prayer meeting on Monday nights. And I think I attended like five prayer meetings in eight years. And there was never an emphasis made about this. If I would have been corrected on this, I give you my word, I would have been there. Because you know what? 
While they were praying on Mondays, I was at home doing my thing. But you know what I would do? I would come to church on Thursdays, and I would have my own prayer meetings. I understood the importance of prayer. I would get the youth together, and I'd be like, come on, we're going to pray. We're going to see God's face. If I would have been, if, if, if I would have been challenged in that area, that's the only thing that I, that, 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 I, that I could fault him for, is that is that he should have challenged me in this area because the Apostle Paul, he said, first of all, I exhort you first of all. This is not something you throw on the back burner. This is not something that we just trust. Look, we, the, the Apostle Paul trusted that folks were praying. It wasn't a question of whether you were praying or not. It's are we praying together. Hello, somebody. This is what the apostle was saying. It's not me. It's not something that we make up. Churches have to maintain this vigor in prayer because the apostle Paul puts it first. Therefore, we have to put it first. So the first thing I want you to repeat after me, please, is say first things must remain first. One of the most important components to blessing and in, in, in experiencing the fullness of God is alignment with his order. And so prayer is and must remain a primary focus within the life of the church. If we are going to experience what God wants us to experience, prayer must become a primary thing in our Christian living. It must be something that's primary in our private life, and it must be something that is primary corporately. It must be something that we do. It cannot be something that is neglected. It has to be something that we are living, something that we continue on in. When we look at the devotion to prayer that we find in the book of Acts, it's amazing because we look at the beginning and before the Holy Ghost came down in the upper room, the scriptures show us they were all in one accord doing what? Twiddling their thumbs, reading their Bibles. Eating food together. That's not what the text says. The text says they were all together in one accord in prayer. They were prayerfully waiting on God Almighty. They were prayerfully coming together. As you continue on in the book of Acts, you will find something that is interesting. And you will find that after the Holy Spirit falls, they don't stop praying. They continue praying. After the Holy Ghost comes down, they're still going to church three times a day at the three hours of prayer that they had in Jerusalem at those times. They were still coming together to seek the face of God. So it wasn't like they got the Holy Ghost, forget prayer. That isn't what happened. They got the Holy Ghost, they recognized we need to keep praying because that's what brought them here in the first place. Hello, somebody. As we continue on, we notice that they don't stop their prayer gatherings. The apostle Peter, what happens to him? He gets locked up. He gets threatened with his life. And what do they, what do, they do? What's the first thing they do when they come out? They have a prayer meeting, church. Glory to God. The first thing they do, they threaten in his life, tell him, listen, you guys need to stop preaching in the name of the Lord. You guys need to stop doing it. And what they come out, they rejoice because they were able to get threatened and beaten and all that good stuff. And then the scripture says, they said, God Almighty, you hear their threats. Stretch your hand forward. Confirm your word with signs and wonders. And the Bible says what? The place where they were was shaken. The people were filled with the Spirit. And the apostles began to preach the word of God. And the Holy Spirit was with them. There was a mighty move of God. If you continue on, you move forward. And in chapter 13, we dealt with it in the night of prayer that we had. What happens? The scripture says that in Antioch, there were teachers and prophets. And they were doing what? They were together in prayer and fasting, ministering unto the Lord. And what happens there? The Holy Spirit speaks. And so it tells me something. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul, see, because the Apostle Paul was in that prayer meeting. Because that was the prayer meeting that him and Barnabas were sent out to go and do their work of apostleship. Hallelujah. So you know what the Apostle knew? The Apostle understood the importance of prayer within the church. Prayer keeps the church awake. Shake your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. prayer 
will keep you awake. Devotion to prayer, what does it do? It keeps us humbly focused on God. When we are devoted to God in prayer, when we are devoted, what we are doing is we are demonstrating, wait a second, it is not by might nor by power, but it is by his spirit. It is not by my wisdom, it is not by my ability, but it is by the power of God. And where do I get that power? It is in my relational time with him when he rubs on me, when he fills me, and he empowers me to do what? To live the life that he's called me to live. That's why it is important that we maintain this primary focus on prayer and that we keep ourselves humbly focused on God. It also keeps us expectantly believing for others. Hallelujah. When we are praying and we are seeking the face of God, we are not only humble before him, but we are gaining a revelation of who he is. And as we are gaining that revelation of who he is, we are expecting God to move in the lives of those that we're praying for. Is that not true? When we are praying, as, as, it's, it, it's almost as if, and, and, and I use it this way, when we come together and we're seeking God's face, you know, w w with God, I'm going to say come together with God, whether it's corporately or it's individually, what will happen is it's like you're igniting that wick on that dynamite, so to speak. And what is happening is you can sense yourself getting closer to that thing. You can sense yourself getting closer to the breakthrough of whatever. You can sense yourself getting closer to the answer because you are seeking the face of God. And as you get get closer and closer you know what it just intensifies and intensifies because of what because it is a relationship church and your God is drawing you and he is encouraging you to do what to continue to seek his face to continue to go after him and so as you're praying you have expectation for others and it also fills us with the power that we need to live for him church when prayer is primary in our life when we are devoted to prayer, these are the things that we see. When we look at this scripture here, the Apostle Paul gives us four components to prayer. He talks about prayer, which when you talk about the word prayer, you are simply talking about addressing God. Being in a relationship with God. You're not talking to others about God. You're not talking to others about situations. You are talking directly to God. You are speaking to him. So that has to be something that is in your life that you are spending time devoting to speak to him. So you got to have that prayer. Then there is the word petitions. So we should come before him with petition. What does the word petition mean? It means to make requests in the will of God. And so when he's saying, make, he says, you got to be addressing God Almighty, making petitions, bringing petitions before him, asking God on behalf of others and on behalf of yourself that his will. This is just general. This is just something. This is why when we're talking about prayer and I say, you know, people say they don't have anything to pray for. They don't know how long, you know, they, they, they can't pray for more than five minutes. Well, all you have to do is devote yourself to petitioning God on behalf of people. If you will sit there and petition God on behalf of people that you know, I can guarantee you that you will be able to pray for a long time and run out of time. Hello, somebody. And that's just the petitioning part. But he doesn't end it there. He says intercessions. So now we go from the place of just addressing God, communicating to him, which is something that we do. We should be doing all the time, praying without ceasing, always in communion, always having our minds moving and dealing with him and focusing on him, having that in our hearts and in our spirit. But then at the same time, petitioning God based on his will. How do we find out his will? It's in his word. Amen, somebody. So we know what God's will is according to his word, and so we're able to ask according to his will and petition him. But then there is the place of intercession, and that is the place where it gets a little bit deeper than just petitioning. It is a place where the Bible says that the spirit makes intercession for us. 
It says that Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us. These two words here, when you look up those words, intercession, it doesn't just mean to say a prayer for you. It means to get actively involved in your situation. Did you hear me? Because what happens is, is the Holy Spirit literally makes intercession. So what does he do? He comes and gets engaged with you wherever you are, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. As you are praying and you are seeking Almighty God and Jesus is ever living to make intercession for you, he is doing what? He is involving himself in your life through what? Through this intercession. So what does that mean for us when we're talking about intercession? That means that you and I take personal in the spirit the things that are going on around us. It means that we get involved. It means that we wait on God. It means that we enter into the place where we say, you know what? We are going to fast and we're going to seek God's face because of situations or circumstances. We are going to come together and we are going to cry out to God until something happens. See, here's the key to intercession, church. Intercession for someone doesn't stop until the answer of God is released or revealed. What do you mean, Bishop? When you are really praying for someone in an intercessory manner, you know what happens? You will not stop seeking God until God releases whatever it is that he's going to release. It may not manifest right away, but you know that it's something that he declares is going to happen. This is what's going to go on, and you leave it there in faith, and you know that it's done because God communicated it. Or you continue to pray until you see the materialization of that breakthrough in that person's life. Or the situation you're facing. That's what intercession does. Intercession doesn't cry to God just one time and then I felt better and it's good. No, 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 no. Intercession continues to come before God, unifying with his spirit, unifying with Christ, and unifying with your brother or your sister or your nation or whoever it is that is going through what they're going through because you know what? Your heart becomes burdened by their situation. This is what the scripture says we should be doing. I want you to notice this. This is, this is very important. This is very important. He doesn't say, hey, I'm calling for the intercessors to do this. Did you hear what I said, church? He didn't say, listen, I'm calling for a select group of people in the church to go on ahead and do this. No, no, no. The apostle Paul says, therefore I exhort. Who am I exhorting? I'm exhorting you to exhort everyone. I'm trying to show you how the church should operate. How everybody in the body of Christ, oh, well, that's not my gift. Hold on a second. Time out. We all have the Holy Ghost, don't we? So that means the intercessor dwells in us. So that is your gift. That is everyone's ability. Some people tap into it. Some people don't. Mm -hmm. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. Giving of thanks. Giving of thanks, church. We all know what giving of thanks is, right? Thanking God for everything. But look what he says. Giving thanks for all men. So even those nasty Somebody's, uh-huh. Those people that you don't understand why God has them in your life. Those people that you still have not figured out God's sovereign providence, why are they here? Those folks giving thanks for them. Giving thanks for them. Yeah, the one that you're praying and interceding for, you know, the one that doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to tell you about that one for a moment. The one that doesn't know Jesus, the one that you're weeping for every day because you are a deep intercessor for them. And when you come to that person and you want to share the love of Christ with them, they don't want to hear nothing. They're rejecting you. Give thanks for that person. That person that you apologize to because they wronged you and you just knew you had to just clear the air and fix this up. And you go on ahead and you apologize to them. And they're like, uh-huh. And they continue offending you. Give thanks for that person. He said give thanks for all men, not some men. 
giving thanks for all. Making, look, you're, you're, you're praying, you're interceding, you're petitioning God, but you're also giving thanks. Giving thanks. Why? Because you're giving thanks to God because what you're saying is, God, I thank you. I don't understand it all, but I thank you. I don't understand everything that's happening, but I thank you. The second thing, please repeat after me. Faithfully focused prayer will produce divine kingdom results. Look what he says. He goes on here and he says in verse 2, he says that these prayers, these um, um, uh, supplications, these petitions, these intercessions, this thanksgiving should be made for all men, should be made for kings and all who are in authority. So he communicates and he says, listen, I want you to pray for all of these people, those that are in authority. Now, obviously, we don't have a king in this nation. We have a president, right? We have Congress. We have all of these people in legislative and authoritative positions. So that applies to us. So who should we pray? We should be praying for. We should be praying for these people on a continual basis. When we come together in our individual lives, we should be praying and asking God on their behalf. He says them and he says for all men, for everybody that's there. And so he's communicating to us and saying there's a reason for this. And this is why he wants us to do that. He goes on to say that we may lead a quiet. That word quiet means it's dealing with the outside. That we may live a quiet life, a life that we're not making unnecessary disturbances. What do you mean? Let me, let me point it to you out like this. Let, let me put it to you like this. The necessary disturbances, church, are when we are communicating on behalf of Almighty God. Amen? We have to communicate. I was, you know, we, 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 we have to be able to communicate those truths. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's disturbing to the people that we're sharing the gospel with. It's disturbing the people who we're sharing godly counsel with. But you know what? If we have the opportunity to do it, not shoving it down nobody's throat because that's not what we want to do. You want to go on ahead. You want to communicate the truth of the word of God. But you know what? You don't want to be just some, you know, loud mouth somebody, always gossiping, always talking smack, always dealing with bad situations the wrong kind of way. Hello, somebody. You don't want to be that person because that's not living a quiet life. Because you're making a mess. You're making stuff look bad that shouldn't be that way. You're doing things, giving a bad testimony. So he says, the reason why I want you to pray and I want you to seek my face is so that way you'll live a quiet life, but you'll also live a peaceable life. See, the quiet part deals with the outside. The peaceable life deals with the inside. And so what he's saying is, not so that you're just going to be quiet, because you know what? It's one thing to sit there and bite your tongue, and that starts to hurt after a while. Hello. You know how it is. You're sitting there biting your tongue, biting your tongue. You know why? You got to continue to bite your tongue because you don't have that inner peace. Did you hear me? The reason why you got to continue to bite your lip and the reason why you got to continue to catch yourself is because you have not allowed the Holy Spirit to catch you on the inside. Did you hear me? You see, because when we are really praying and we are really petitioning God and we are really interceding and we are really giving thanks, you know what the Bible says? Well, the Bible, Pastor Robert preached on it. The Bible says that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our minds and our hearts. So wait a second. Mind and heart is inside, isn't it? Hallelujah. Glory to God. So that means that if the peace of God is guarding, and when you look up that word guard, it literally means like a guard in a prison. And so what it's saying is that the peace of God is going to guard your internal being the peace of God is going to guard you therefore when external situations rise up the peace of God is guarding the peace of God is guarding your tongue the peace of God is keeping your mind the peace of God is keeping you not that oh I got no because that's not inside of you because you prayed you supplicated you gave thanks and now the peace of God is dwelling but if we're not praying guess what doesn't happen if we're not praying we're walking in anxiety if we're not praying, we're walking in offense. If we're not praying, we're getting bitter. 
If we're not praying, we're gaining knowledge because you know what happens when we're not praying but we're reading our Bibles? And listen, you need to have a balance in the both because God speaks to us directly through his word. We've got to be renewed in our mind through the reading and meditation upon the scriptures. But what happens is when we're sitting there and we're just reading our Bibles, reading our Bibles, gaining all of this knowledge, well, the Bible tells me that knowledge puffs up. Love builds up, knowledge puffs up. And so when there's no balance, and so you're learning scriptures, well, what happens? Now all of a sudden you become keenly aware of everybody's mistakes. You become keenly aware of everything that everybody else does wrong. Therefore, you're highly offended. But when you're praying, something happens when you pray, church. When you are praying, that offense turns into brokenness over their soul. That, that, that anger, it turns into something else over their situation. Your heart becomes tender toward that situation. You start to view this thing from the perspective of God. You begin to move out of the realm of being judgmental and critical to being a person who is moved with compassion the way that Christ was over the people who he saw who were like sheep without a shepherd. See, there's two ways we can look at this. Martha Munizzi, when she came here and she was sharing, she was talking about sheep. And she said that, you know, whenever she read about sheep in the scripture, she was like, you know, she thought about these little, you know, white, you know, just fluffy little things that just bounced around and, you know, just had a real good perception of these sheep. She said she went to one of her family members' home and they have a farm. And so they had some sheep over there. And she said, man, when she saw these sheep, there was like some sheep up in there and they were all gray and dingy and skinny and they were biting at you. And she said, it was just, this was not the sheep in the Bible. Hello, somebody. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. As a shepherd, right, you can look at it as two, one or two things. Man, those are some nasty sheep. I don't want to be around them, right? Those are the, the, the reason them sheep ain't got no shepherd is because they ugly, dingy, biting at folks. Hello, right? They nasty, right? That's one way to look at it. Or the other way is you look at it like Christ did. They need love. They need that tender care. They need the revelation of God. That, that, that's what happens. And so those are the differences. Well, when you're praying, guess what you're going to have? You're going to be clear because you know what? Don't get it twisted now. A sheep had a staff or a shepherd had a staff and a rod for a reason. Wasn't like, oh, little sheepy sheep. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to wash you up, glory to God. We're going to get you right. But you want to act a fool? Break that leg. Oh, don't get it twisted. I, 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 I want you to understand this because we think, you know, shepherd just, you know, walking around just loving. You know, no, 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 hold on a second. He's loving and caring and all that good stuff. But at the same time, the shepherd has to demonstrate and has to enact authority in certain situations, painful as it may be. As a matter of fact, let me, let, 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 let me tell you how far the shepherds go. Shepherds in those days, you know, in, in, in the east, they're, they're, there's something that happens. They have these sheep. And there's usually one sheep that is the fattest, most beautiful, biggest sheep of his whole group. And this sheep always, never fails. If you have fences, and, and, and the story in, this, in, in one of these books about the shepherd that I read, he was actually a shepherd. And in these, you know, you have like these long fields, but you have a fence. Fence leads all the way out into the ocean. So obviously, the sheep going out there cannot get into the water to go swim over to the other side of the fence. But they're always trying to reach around, always trying to lean over to see what's over here on this side of the fence. Got good pastures up in here. 
Everything is good. Everything, there's nothing wrong here. Just, I just want to keep looking over there. What does a shepherd have to do? I'm going to correct the sheep. Correct the sheep in love. But you know what you want? You want to know what ends up happening is? That sheep doesn't accept the correction. You know what he starts doing? He keeps looking over there onto the other side. And then the other sheep start wondering, what's over there? Now the other sheep are looking over to the other side of the fence. And this shepherd is trying to lead these sheep. And the reason they're not listening is because big, you know, fat boy over there, you know, <laughs> he is doing what? He's leading the sheep in the wrong direction. So you know what the shepherd has to do? He has to kill that sheep. That's some serious discipline, y'all. Ain't just a broken leg. Ain't just a whack somewhere. No, no, no. This is killing that sheep, getting rid of that sheep. That's what the Bible talks about. Mark that one that causes division. That's when you kill that sheep. Did you hear what I just said? I know we don't want to hear that stuff. Glory to God. Listen to me. This is what happens when we're in prayer, though. We have the right heart. We have the right position before God and looking at those who are hurting because we have the right mindset. He communicates and he says, look, he said, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet not making no mess on the outside, peaceable, having peace guarding our heart, life, and all godliness and reverence. In other words, the reason why you got to be in prayer is so that way when you're out there in this world, people see true godliness in you and they respect you as a Christian. Because respecting you as a Christian means that they respect the God you serve. Did you hear me? They may not serve him, but it's just like we see in the book of Acts. The people knew, hold on a second, we don't play with these people. We're not going to come and just hang out with them in church. No, they're going to stay on their side of the road. We're going to stay on our side of the road. But they had respect for these people. They understood that their God was holy because of what, church? Because of the testimony. And where did that testimony come out of? Came out of a relationship. Our prayers, church, have got to be focused on the right things. Look at verse 3 with me. It says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What's good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior? That we live a prayerful life and that that prayerful life leads to a godly testimony. This is good and acceptable in sight of God our Savior. And this is what is, what is so important for us to realize. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? This is important for us. That our prayers be motivated and focused on the right thing. Because God desires that all men be saved. This has got to be our heart, church. This has got to be our heart and motivation and prayer. The reason why this is important is because God wants us to be moved to cry out for those who do not know him. And that way they can come to know him. And for those who do know him, that we can live a life of testimony that would draw people to him and not push people away from him. That we can live a life that will be a reflection of his love, that would radiate who he is, and that others would be able to come to the saving knowledge, to the full knowledge, the whole knowledge of the truth. That word, the knowledge of the truth it literally means the experiential knowledge of the truth church God wants everybody see everybody in here who is truly born again you had an experience with God it may have not been you know you walked on water or floated on a cloud or something like that it may not have been that you heard God's audible voice but everybody in this place had an experience with God some way some way shape or form there was an experience that you had with him you experienced that truth and he wants that for everybody else on this planet church 
He wants us to be devoted to prayer because he wants to bring salvation. He desires. That word is thalo. It is a desire. It is a determinate desire. It is something that God wants to see done. He wants. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to know his saving grace, church. Everybody. But we won't care about that if we're not committed to prayer. We won't care about that if we're not devoted to seeking his face the way that he calls us to. He goes on to say, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, in, 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 in this context here, there was a whole bunch of different idolatry that was going on, a whole bunch of different religion that was around there, and a whole bunch of different gods with those little Gs and all that. There was a whole bunch of those all over the place. And you want to know what? He was communicating a truth that was vitally important, that it wasn't, uh, you know, a bunch of different gods willing things that they needed to be concerned about. They needed to be concerned with the will of the one true God. The will of the one true God needed to motivate their prayers. There needed to be no confusion in their seeking about God's face. There was one true God, one mediator, one who came and paid a great price for salvation. And because of that, our prayers should be motivated in the seeking of his face. Our prayers, church, have to be focused upward. They got to be focused on the one true God. Our prayers must be focused outward. They must be focused on the lost and God's desire to bring salvation to them as well as for the saints of God that we may be strengthened and be able to persevere. And our prayers must be focused inwardly as well on our helplessness apart from the grace of God. Our prayers have to be focused on the right things. Too often, prayer is inconsistent, incomplete, and incongruent with the word and the will of God. It's inconsistent because we're not there every day, because we're not seeking his face as we ought to. We are not making it a primary thing. And like I said, whether it is early in the morning, whether it is late at night, whether it is in the middle of your afternoon, it needs to be something that is happening consistently. It needs to be something that you are doing on a consistent basis, that you are seeking and that you are separating time for what? To know your God, to know his will, and to align yourself with him. Our prayers are incomplete because we pray and we address God and we petition him but we don't enter into intercession we don't enter into that place where we don't let go of God until we see his will done and our prayers are incomplete because we don't give him thanks the way that we're supposed to and then we're incongruent with the word of God we're not in alignment with the word of God because we don't know the word of God church church first of all I exhort that prayers petitions intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all men. This is what the apostle is saying. He's saying our prayer, our prayer life has got to go to a whole nother place. We need to be a people who either become or who remain and increase as being passionately, consistently, and uncompromisingly dependent and, de and devoted to God in prayer. That's us, church. If we want to see God's will worked out on this earth, if we want to see that saving grace manifesting in the lives of loved ones, if we want to see the purposes of God manifested, we have got to make first things first and keep them there, church. The third thing I would ask you to repeat after me is this. Posture is a vital component to effective prayer. It should be noted in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. The Apostle Paul says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands 
without wrath and doubting that men pray everywhere. So the first thing we got to realize here and we should take note of is that men are called to lead the way in prayer. Men, and he specifically calls out the men. He specifically points out something. He says, I desire that men pray everywhere. Not just in church, at home. Lead prayer at home. Obviously, other people got to develop in your house, so you don't want to just hog, you know, the prayer time. Hello. But you want to lead prayer. You want to lead prayer. You don't need to be afraid as a man of God. And man, just listen up. We don't need to be intimidated. We don't need to be afraid. We need to lead in prayer. I love my brother Louis Cologne's testimony. He testified to us in the night of prayer. He was talking about how he was, you know, how he was a little intimidated to pray for his mom and stuff like that. Because, you know, obviously, you know, she's been in the gospel for years. She's a leader in the church. You know, and so it was a little intimidating. But you know what? He began to pray and the spirit of God began to use him. Listen, it is important for us as men that we grab a hold of this. Why? And see, I can talk about this because I am a man. And so here's the thing. Many of us men have a problem. It's a problem. It's an issue. And it is that we are analytical thinkers. We reason real well. We sit down, and you know what we automatically want to do? We want to figure out the problem, fix the problem, and move on. Amen? That's, what we, that, that's how God built us. He built us that way. To be able to see a situation, analyze it. I'm not saying women are not like this. I'm just saying that in general, in general, okay, men are this way. Because obviously I've done some counseling and I've met some women that are more analytical than their husbands. It's okay. Glory to God. But, but here's the reality. The reality is that we are that way. So you know what happens? We are more apt to sit down and you know what? We will reason and move rather than pray and wait. Okay, give me all the facts. This is what's up. This is what happened. This is what, okay. All right, well, just say this. And then because we're godly men, you know, well, the Bible doesn't say anything against what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, I got a scripture that would support what I'm about to say. It's good to go. No need to discuss it. No need to think. No, fast and pray for what? For what? There's no need for that. This is the problem. This is how we'll deal with it. Okay. But it's pretty amazing because David, who if there's a man of God that I want to be other than his shortcomings, if there's a man of God that I want to be like, it would be him. Because the scripture tells us that when he, be, when he became the king over the entire nation, the Bible says that the Philistines came out to make war against him. You know what the scripture says he did? Now, mind you, David was a bad man. David was a real man of war. If there was, if there was a person who knew how to do some stuff when it came to warfare, it was David. David didn't need help, okay? And, and he, he, he was that kind of person. He knew what was up. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that David sought God and said, how do you want me to go against the enemy? Do you want me to go out to them this way? See, what David did was this. David said, look, there's two ways to do this. I can go directly in front of them, or I can go around them. So, Lord, do you want me to go out in front of them? And the Lord said, go out in front of them, we're going to give you victory. The scripture says, they went out in front of the Philistines, they, get, they were given the victory. But the Philistines didn't give up. This is just an example of the devil. The devil's not going to give up just because you beat him up once. Hello. Just because you defeat him one time doesn't mean he's not going to try to come back again and say, hold on a second, maybe that was just luck. That was a fluke, okay. 
Scripture says Philistines came back. Want to fight again. Now, 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 wait a second. Let's just think about this. Common sense, right, would say, hey, we did it this way the first time. No need. They're coming out. They're walking down the same path. They're coming the same way. It's the same army. They're going to come. They don't, they don't know any other war. This is how they're coming, right? So that we already had the victory army. Mount up. Let's go. But you know what David did? David paused, and he said, how should I do it? And you know what God said? I want you to go around behind them this time. What did he do? He gave him a different strategy to deal with the same situation. David would have never gotten that if he would not have sought God's face. And if he would not have sought God's face, I encourage you to understand this. He would have gotten a beating that he wasn't expecting, that he wasn't prepared for, because what? Because he went at it the wrong way. Listen, this is why it is so important that we are seekers of God's face and that we learn to wait on him, especially, especially as the men of our homes. And you may be a man in here and you don't lead a family and that's okay. You're in a good place because you can start learning now how to pray and seek the face of God about all of the decisions you make especially those decisions. And listen, this doesn't exclude women. I'm just pointing out the fact that Paul points out that he wants men praying everywhere. He wants men to lead the way in prayer. He doesn't want your wife to lead the way in prayer. He wants you to lead the way in prayer. He wants you to be the one who leads and shows. He wants you to be the one, and I say it like this, he wants you to be the one who's at the prayer meetings in church. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I was blessed immensely when Brother Jimmy called me up or he texted me like a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago. And he said, Bishop, man, can I just open the church on Tuesday night just to go and pray and just see God's face and we'll see what happens. And I don't say this to give glory to him. I give all the glory to God. But I do want to honor the fact that he was obedient to the spirit of the Lord. And you know what? He confirmed what had been in my heart for a long time. And so we got together and we came and we're just seeking God's face. And I just want the will and, and, and the glory and the presence of God. And I've seen in these prayer meetings there's more men than women. And I'm excited about it. Amen, somebody. Because to me, that is what should be happening. The church should be filled with praying men, men who are seeking the face of God. And it's not my will. This is the will of the inspired scriptures that God is communicating. And so he goes on and says, not only are men are supposed to pray, but he gives us a certain posture that we are supposed to pray. And this is regardless of whether you are a male or a female. This is just a posture that the scripture communicates. It says that they should pray with lifted hands. When you look in the Old Testament, you find that this was something that was normal. When Solomon prayed, he lifted up his hands. When they were going to pray to bless somebody, they lifted up their hands. When they were going to pray to God, they lifted up their hands. You remember that when Joshua was down fighting this battle and Moses was up there and he was praying. What did the scripture say? The scripture said that when his arms began to fall down, what happened? That the battle would begin to go the other way. And so we know that Aaron and, and, and Ur, I believe it was, they were the ones that helped him keep his arms up. And that way he was able to continue to intercede. And so there was something that these people used to do, and this is important to know why he talks about lifting hands because back in those days before people would go into prayer they would wash their hands and it was symbolic of I'm cleansing my hands because this symbolizes my life and so I'm coming before you with my hands open I'm coming before you with my hands clean I'm coming before you demonstrating that I'm devoted and so I did the you know the devotional washing and and so the or the ritualistic washing and that way I'm coming to you to pray well obviously in the New Testament we don't have no basin around here hello we're not going to make you go and wash your hands before we pray. So that's not what God is talking about. 
when he's talking about lifting up holy hands, yeah, that might be a posture physically that can occur. I, you know, sometimes I feel led to pray like that. Sometimes I don't. But the bottom line is that when he's talking about lifting up holy hands, he's talking about lifting up a holy life. He's talking about living a life that is consecrated and holy unto him. And that when I come to him, I say, my hands are clean. When I come to him, I say, my heart is clean. When I come to him, I say, my life is clean. When I come to him, I say that I have been living according to your standards. And so I'm not just lifting my hands symbolically, yes, but I am lifting my life before you. And that is the prayer posture that's important. I'm not going to talk to you about kneeling down. I believe kneeling is important. I'm trying to teach my daughter the importance of kneeling before God because she knows how to pray. But she's learning that when we come to pray at night, we should get down before the Lord. Why? Because we are coming before a king who is holy. But you want to know something? There are some people and there are some times that you cannot get down on your knees to pray because if you get down on your knees to pray, you will be so exhausted that you will fall asleep with your face on the chair or the pillow or wherever you are because that's just how it's going to happen. And so I encourage you to do what I do. Stand up. Don't just stop praying. Stand up and start moving, and that way you can pray through and you can get there. And there are some people who are physically incapable of getting down on their knees. They, they cannot do it because they are, they, they are not able physically. So you know what that means? That doesn't mean that God is not going to hear your prayer because you don't get on your knees, church. Hello. It is about a heart condition before God. It is about a heart condition before him. But I want you to know when you read your Bible, you're going to find that these people got on their knees to pray. When they went out to by the sea and, and, saw, and Paul was saying bye to the people in Ephesus and all this stuff, you know what the scripture says? The scripture says he got down on his knees and prayed on the ocean shore. Hello. This is just the way that they did things. But he says that we have to come before God with lifted hands. So a life that's lifted to him in holiness. And then he goes on to say without wrath. What does that word wrath mean? It means without anger. Without anger towards our fellow man. That's why the Bible says be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Because what? You need to go ahead and deal with that. The Bible says when you're going to offer your offering to the Lord and you know that you know there's some offense that's there with your brother, what does the scripture say to do? Leave your offering on the altar. Go fix your situation with the Lord. Then come before God Almighty. That's what he says to do. So without anger, but you know what? We don't just get angry with our fellow man. We get angry with God, don't we? Has anybody, and you know how you, this, this is a rhetorical question, but has anybody ever been angry with God? Has anybody been so overwhelmed by a situation that you just get angry with God? You just get frustrated with him. You're just like, God, I don't understand why. I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen. I don't understand why you haven't broken in. I don't understand why, you know, nobody's ever been there, but you know what? Some people have been there. We shouldn't have that heart towards God. But if we continually walk in that prayer life with him, church, that anger is not going to exist there because we begin to trust in his sovereign ability to work all things out for his purpose. And then he says, without doubting. So a lifestyle that's lifted up to him, without anger towards our brothers, because, you know, that's another thing, too. You go into prayer when you're angry with someone. I know I've done this, and I confess. You know, going to prayer, and then I'll be, like, just angry, and I'm going to start praying, like, intensely for this person, and I'm ready to pray, like, a psalm prayer, you know, where, like, destroy my enemies type prayer. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just letting you know, man. And, and then sometimes I'm like, well, David prayed it, but, you know, I'm like, wait a second, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily right. You know, we're supposed to have this right mindset in this new covenant, glory to God, not asking for God to kill, you know, our enemies. Hello. But the fact of the matter is we're supposed to pray for them, right? We're supposed to bless them so this is what the scriptures teach so we can't be going up in there angry like that praying the wrong stuff just out of God's will don't want to do that amen then he says without doubting and the word doubting has two parts to it because when you look up the word doubting it actually means an internal conversation and he's saying man don't come to God doubting in your heart James said when you ask ask in faith nothing wavering 
For he that wavers like a wave of the street, driven with the wind, tossed to and fro. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, right? Because he's double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. This is what the scriptures teach us. This is why it's so important for us to know the scriptures, church. Because when we come to God with a full knowledge of the scriptures, there's no doubting. There's no questioning. What is his will? I know his will. I know what he wants. I know what he desires. I'm not doubting God's will. He made it clear. He wills that all would be saved. I know God's will. He wants us to do these things. And so the right posture, church, is lifted hands without wrath, without doubting. And this can also be applied to disputing with brothers and sisters and going back and forth and having issues there. You can't be like that because you know what? You do that and your, and your prayers become hindered because your heart is not right before your God. How can you love God who you don't see if you can't love your brothers who you are seeing? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you for not sleeping. Amen. Appreciate that. Our posture in prayer is established moment by moment. And a devoted prayer life will not be marked by the praying itself, but by the preparation for prayer that is lived. See, we don't live our lives, or we should be living our lives, if we really are devoted to prayer, then our lifestyle becomes totally different. Because you know what we're considering? We're considering the fact that we have got to come before Almighty God in that one-on-one. And so you know what we do? This is, this is what the fear of the Lord is, church, is that we live our lives with that consideration always before us. I am always before my God. I don't want to do anything to grieve his spirit because you do realize that your attitudes, your actions, your behaviors, your decisions can all grieve his spirit. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I hate it. I hate it when I, when, when I come before God and it's like bricks in there. I, I hate that. I hate that when I come before him and it's like I know. And it's not, and it's not just those moments because you know what? There are moments that I have that, and I can tell you this like this. There are those moments in my life in prayer. When I come before God and I don't feel this tangible presence that fall down, don't think that every time I go into my prayer closet and I've been living right with God, that the glory of God just falls when I walk in the room and close the door. That is not what happens. This is that, that's not the truth. There are some times that the presence of God floods the atmosphere. There are other times that it is not like that, but it doesn't mean that it's like those bricks that I'm talking about. See, because there's a difference when you come before God and it's just one of those moments that God is just saying, just worship me for who I am. Don't, don't, don't worship me because of what you feel. Just pray to me because you know that it's, you know, you, you are called to pray. You are called to seek my face. Just seek me. I'm not talking about those moments. I'm talking about those moments that you sense that heaviness because you know you're not living right. Because you know you haven't been walking with him the way that you have. Because you know you haven't been obeying with the scripture. See, that is what I hate, church. And that is what I guard against because that is something that hinders my prayer life. And so how do we deal with that? Well, if I'm truly devoted to prayer, I'm going to live my life in a different manner. I'm going to live my life with the expectation of the next time me and God get together one-on-one. I don't want there to be anything between him and I. I don't want there to be anything that I've done to offend him or dishonor him. And so the question this, this day is very simple. Is prayer a primary thing in your life? Is it? Because as a Christian, if it's not, we're never going to see the divine results that God wants us to see. We're never going to see the full blessing of God that he wants us to see. We're never going to see 
and experience the things that God wants us to experience in this earth. And so I pray that we will be a people that are devoted to prayer. Amen. Let's everybody stand to our feet today. Hallelujah.